Lovely to be with you. Oh, kia ora. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is one of my favorite places to be. Sam's one of my favorite people to be around. Uh, I mean, Marie's even more of a favorite person to be around. She's been a friend since we were like 14 or 15. We named our daughter after Marie, so she's been a friend of uh, Lisa and I for a long time. She said, don't make a big deal of it. Don't talk about it. So, Marie, you're a legend, and you held the fort for the last two weeks, and you're doing kids' church, and you're getting married, and it's just all happening. So, Marie's a legend and a great friend. And uh, it's a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to do a few things. I want to offer you some prophetic perspective. Uh, Then I want to do a sermon on politics. uh, And then I want to finish with a pastoral concern. Uh, the, prophet, uh, the, the, the sermon on politics is the bit in the middle that I have to do, and then the other things are the bits that I actually want to do. So, uh, so there you go. I, wanna, I just want to offer you some prophetic perspective. I've, been, um, I've had this Sunday morning gathering in mind for a while and been with you guys for a while. And one of the things I'm aware of is that it's, you don't often notice how good what you've got is until it's gone. Uh, one of the things that happens for me when we have people in our church kind of move to Wellington for work or move to wherever or, or, or the kids go off to uni, I get a text from one of the kids that's gone off to uni saying, we've been trying to find a church like yours. Like, our church is called St. Luke's. There's none here like St. Luke's. Like this was really good and we didn't realize it. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you don't often realize how good you've got it until you kind of move to a different context. And I just want to, my prophetic perspective is for you guys is that you have got it good here. You have got it good here. Uh, my wife and I, we've been building a cabin at the back of our house, um, tidying up the backyard, doing a fence and all this, just a bunch of stuff around the house. I needed a dedicated office space. And um, tell you what, it gets way worse before it gets better. It, it, it just, it, you just start and it just starts to look worse and then things get pulled down and then the foundations go in and the lawn's being ripped up and the whole thing just, it just looks a mess. And after a little while of this project, you're right, this isn't really what I imagined. Like, this is not really, this is not, this is not that, I thought we were going to be improving the property and making a difference and, and that things were going to be, you know, more beautiful as a result. But you kind of, you persevere and, and, you, and you carry along. And now, like months later, it's like, ah, oh, the grass is starting to grow back. It's like, this is awesome. We have done a good thing. And um, Bay Vineyard, this is such a young church, such an early church. And from an outside perspective, I've been tracking everything. I follow on Facebook. I see the dad jokes that you're doing for Father's Day. And I, there's letters that go out to help parents with their kids. And in Tauranga, I'm like, man, that's a good idea. Man, we should have done that. It's like, why didn't I think of doing that? It's like, I don't have the energy for all of that. Man, they've got it good in Bay Vineyard. And uh, I just want to let you know that you, you guys are, you guys are. Um, this is like foundations are going down and a little bit of cement's coming up and some things are being squared off and made level. And, and um, don't, don't think this is the fruit. This is the foundation of the fruit that is, is to come. And uh, I'm a pastor, so I don't have any money. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, I think blue chip, is it blue chip stock? You know, that, that's, they say a blue chip, that's something that you want to buy into because that value is going to rise over time. What I do have is a Bible though, and I know that in the book of Ezekiel, he was standing at a river and it came up to ankle deep and then it came up to knee deep and then waist deep and then before he knows he's swimming in it. And, and I just want to say, you guys, you guys are like knee deep at the moment. You're knee deep at the moment. There are good things happening. Uh, this is a blue chip stock. The water's going to rise. And uh, if, you, uh, if you value... For you and your family growing to be holy, whole, and wholesome, 
This is the place you want to land in. You want to participate in. You want to, you want to get aboard what's happening here because it's a, it's a journey to become wholly whole and wholesome. Uh, Sam joked about the, the TV and being a megachurch because uh, we joke about those kinds of things. So, there's no desire to be a megachurch, but I've started using the word superchurch. And I think, of, uh, I, think of, um, I think of those bands when they get the lead singer from that church, and the, uh, from that church, the lead singer from that band and the bassist from that band, and suddenly they put this super group together. And you're like, man, that is a group that really knows what it's doing. And I've started thinking about the concept of a super church, which has no desire to be mega, but is deeply committed to being a, a place. We're going to do worship. We're going to do that well. We're going to do kids. We're going to do that well. We're going to do spiritual formation. We're going to do that well. And it's like, we're going we're gonna to make something that by God's grace is transformative in people's lives. And I just want to say, this is, this is early days. This is the messy bit before it starts to take off. I, as a church planner, we're 14 years into it. I just feel like everything we've done is to get to the start line, which is about now. All right, now we can start. Um, this hasn't even started yet. This is just the church planning group, you know, that's just getting together before you can start to do what God really wants to do in the base. So don't take it for granted. If I lived here, this would be the church that I would come to without a doubt. There's only a couple of churches in all New Zealand I'd go to. As a pastor's a very particular. Um, this is a good place. So I just want to offer you that perspective because sometimes you don't, you don't notice it when you're in the midst of it, but there, there's good things happening here. Sam sends me a text. He says, um, can, you come to, um, can you come to Bay Vineyard and um, do a Brian, Lark, Brian Zahn-like sermon on politics? And if you don't know who Brian Zahn is, that doesn't matter. He's just, he's the goat at preaching. And I'm like, well, Sam, that's a big ask. He's like our favorite preacher of all the preachers. And then politics, like of all the subjects in the world to talk about politics. Um, you know, at St. Luke's, I've been preaching through the book of Ezekiel, not the book of elections. And so like to jump across to like politics, I was like, Sam, that's a big ask. And you know, I'm reading my commentary on the book of Ezekiel and I turn the page over for the passage that we we're up to for Ezekiel. And there's this like these three paragraphs on politics. And I was like, all right, maybe Sam, maybe we can come and do a little something on politics. So uh, we'll see how we go uh, this morning. Uh, what I want to do this morning is describe the situation that we find ourselves living in. Um, not the political situation, though in a sense it is the political situation, but where are we up to in terms of the salvation history of God? In terms of what God is doing with his creation? Where, where are we up to in that? And then in light of that, how we might think a little bit politically. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 and 6 verse 7, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is a passage we often read at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forever. Well, in terms of a passage like this, this, this prophetic declaration that we find in the book of Isaiah, well, where were we up to in relation to that? Is that starting tomorrow? Uh, did that start yesterday? Like, when, when's this? Do we have to wait till Christmas? Kind of where are we up to in terms of this unfolding salvation history? And uh, as Christians, how might we think about politics in light of that? So that's the plan this morning. Uh, by the end, you'll know exactly how to vote and who you should be voting for in the upcoming election. And uh, I'll let you just, we'll give you a moment just to think about that. And then I'll go to the next slide. And then that'll be the candidate that you are all thinking for. And uh, as Christians, we'll all be on exactly the same page. So it's, uh, that's the plan this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you for your word. 
I thank you for this beautiful church. I thank you for the worship that we've already had, the, the invitation to exalt you and lift you up. And as Sam said, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and that as we consider politics, that ultimately you would be lifted up and we would be living lives that reflect who you are in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, we're in Ezekiel because that's where I'm at. I'm in Ezekiel. This is the very last verse of Ezekiel. So I finished our series on Ezekiel two weeks ago, and now we're here. So very last verse in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, If you don't know anything about Ezekiel, that doesn't matter. The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits. Doesn't matter, but this is what matters. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. The book of Ezekiel finishes with a vision essentially of the age to come, with a vision essentially of, uh, of, of the, the um, redemption, the restoration, the recreation, the restoring, the putting back together of this world that we live in, everyone now living under the rule and reign of Christ, and, and the name of the city is the Lord is there. Uh, where it's all been put to back together. The dwelling place of God is once again with humanity. There's no more tears, no more heartache, no more pain. Uh, but, but all is as it should be, flourishing for all. The organizing principle in the age to come is the love of God. It, it just, we're, we're all dwe- the dwelling place of God is with humanity, us with one another. How are, we, how are we living this life in the age to come? What's that all organized around? It's organized around Love of God. God's love for us and our love for God. We're with God, worshiping God, a royal priesthood, image bearers that we were created to be, reflecting what God's like to the world around us and bringing the worship of the world to God. And this is the organizing principle. This is the age to come. Uh, It's the kingdom of God. And what a vision. I mean, honestly, forget make America great. All we need is make the world good again. Make the world good. Good again. Like in Genesis, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. It was tov, 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 and very tov. Make the world good again. This is, this is the, the end of Ezekiel. This is the end of the book of Revelation. This is this, these pictures of how it will be in the age to come. We're not there yet, though. We're not in that space yet. We, we live in kingdom anticipation. We live in what theologians refer to as the now but not yet. The now but not yet of the kingdom of God. Uh, It's not a building project, but this kingdom that's breaking out within us and among us and between us. And man, we have these moments of like beauty and wonder and encounter. And you're like, the kingdom of God was present this morning. That's the now. And then we have heartache and pain and frustration. So like, I think this is a little bit more not yet. And uh, sometimes we have seasons that feel way more. This is the now. I love it. And then when sometimes we have seasons where it's feeling a lot like the not yet. And I wish we could have a bit more now. Yeah, yeah. That we, we go back and forth. That's the kingdom of God that is now, but not yet. Uh, the organizing principle for this kingdom is love of God, love of neighbor, even at times uh, love of enemy. This, this is the organizing principle. Uh, but it's a wrestle. Because love of self still holds sway as well. I want to love God. I really want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. I know I, want, I know I should want to love my enemy. I'm not quite there yet. But, I, you know, but man, I also I love myself. <laughs> you know, and I love doing the things that I enjoy doing. And I love having things my way. And so there's this kind of conflicting principle. Uh, there, there's a Latin word for it. Self-care, self-concern, self-love with a touch of luxury. 
No, you know, no? I, we, we all get into, I really want to love my neighbor and love myself with a little touch of luxury. I, I, really, I really enjoy that. Uh, you, may not, you may or may not be aware of Jackass. Uh, I'm not here to endorse it. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, I'm not, I'm not putting this up so you go home and watch it. It's not, that's not what I'm here to do. I just want to illustrate something. Uh, but essentially, it's a show where um, stupid men just do stupid things and end up getting really hurt, uh, like a dartboard with a face in the middle of it kind of thing. But it's okay, though, because he's wearing safety goggles. So, you know, it'll, it'll be all right. But this has been around for 20-odd years. But I remember my brother and I, when we were in our early 20s, when we were a lot less mature than what we are now, I remember my brother saying to me, I just love it. They do all the things I want to do, but I'm just too scared to do. And it's like, you know, massive big hill, hopping a supermarket trolley. Just push me and we'll see what happens. It's like, oh, they do the things I want to do, but I'm just too scared to do it. Uh, we were a lot younger. Uh, I, think what, I think the sentiment that he's, my brother was trying to kind of capture in that moment is that sense of living a fearless, kind of reckless, kind of crazy, unhinged life where you just kind of get stuck into it. It's like, oh, I really want to do it, but I'm just too scared. Uh, I think as well, though, what happens is you see those kind of things, or he did, but, but more maturely now, one of the things that happens is we see people living this crazy kind of unhinged love. We see these moments of extravagant love and we look at that and we go, oh, I really want to love like that. I really want to, I want to embrace that kind of love. I want to be that to other people. I want to reflect Christ to the world like that. Oh, that looks amazing. But I'm just a bit too scared. There's just a little bit too much self-concern going on. There's a little bit too much, oh, but if you love big, you can get hurt big. And so, um, you know. You see, those, you see those romantic movies or you see those video clips or you read this novel. Oh, I want to love like that, but I might get hurt, so I'll just kind of half love. And that, that's a part of the kingdom that's now but not yet. The organizing principle is love, but there's a whole lot of self-concern that kind of gets in the way. And sometimes we just kind of manage to let go and really love unhinged. And then other times we kind of like give it a little bit and I'm going to hold on to the rest and keep safe, keep safe. For so many reasons, understandable reasons. But um, we give it a crack, but we don't always get it right. In the kingdom that's now but not yet, the church is Jesus' advance party on earth. The church is heaven's advance party on earth. But funnily enough, in many ways, this advance party is not like a crack squad of elite soldiers. It's more like God's like, what do we need? We need an advance party. Who shall we pick? I know, dad's army. We'll send out Dad's army. That's the one we want. And so the church is, you know, you know, good morning, Mr. Mannerine. And like, you know, we're all doing our best, but it's kind of Dad's army. It's like, God, what's with the church? I would have thought you would have chosen a crack squad of elite soldiers, not Dad's army, but we're, we're Dad's army. We're, we're kind of fumbling around, fumbling around, trying to, trying to reflect God to the world and the now, but not yet. Uh, those that have followed faithfully, those that have tried, those that are faithful, the certain, the uncertain, the doubters, the all welcome at the table. You know, all of you that are a dad's army, if you don't know dad's army, you should look up that and watch that. But, uh, you know, we all gather at this table, fumbling around a little bit, the now, but not yet. I think there's an appropriate verse for both the age to come and the now, but not yet. First Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I only know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. 
It's applicable to both of those spaces. There's going to come a time where I really know Sam, and Sam really knows me, and we can really love each other like we're called to be. At the moment, we know in part, and we do our best, and we we fumble around, but we're, we're trusting Jesus. Now, but not yet. Also, though, we have the now. <laughs> not everybody's trying to arrange their lives around the kingdom of God or anticipation of the kingdom of God that is to come. Not everyone's organizing principle is vision of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost, if you know that old chorus. You know, that, that, that's, not everybody, that's not the tune everybody is humming. Organizing principle in the now is more a sense of self-interest and love. As the people of God, we, we, we live with this anticipation of the age to come. We live in the kingdom that's now but not yet. But out in the community, not everyone's super excited about King Jesus necessarily or the kingdom of God or the fruit of the Spirit. People are interested in their own life and their own story and what seems good to them and what seems good to them in their own eyes. Um, so it's a different kind of space that we find ourselves in. Uh, we have this phrase, the common good, the common good. We're kind of organized around the common good because whatever that might mean, it's better than uh, tyranny and chaos. What's the common good? The common good at its best, it protects life, preserves law and order, promotes peace, um, you know, the common good. Problem is, of course, though, everybody has a slightly different definition of what the common good is. Very different opinions on what the common good is, except that it's better than tyranny and chaos. That's the cover of a book called Tyranny and Chaos, A History of the Second World War. Well, this kind of vague and vain attempt for some sort of common good, it's certainly better than tyranny and chaos. And, and so we, we celebrate that and we embrace that. Um, and this is what we call politics. That's what we, oh, we, that's what we call politics. And it gets crazy. It gets really crazy. But as crazy as what politics can get, it is still better than tyranny and chaos. Theologically, the Bible seems to advocate for corrupt kings rather than no kings. Theologically, the Bible seems to advocate for corrupt kingdoms rather than no kingdoms. Uh, we see this even in 1 Samuel chapter 8 where, where uh, these early Israelites are like, God, uh, they, they go to, sorry, they go to Samuel, the priest, they go, Samuel, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. And Samuel's like, oh, you don't want a king. Make God your king. You, you don't need another person who's king. No, we want a king like everyone else has a king. Samuel's like, no, you don't. He'll tax you and he'll make armies and you'll lose your kids to war and you'll lose money and you'll start building projects and all of these kinds of things that will rob you of life. Just make God your king. And they're like, nope, we don't want God to be our king. Well, we do want God to be our king, but we actually want a king king as well because we, we want to be around like the other nations. And what does Samuel, on behalf of God, kind of accommodates and go, okay then, that's what you want, have, have a king. And they get Saul as the first king. And you know, and when, if you read the book of Chronicles or the book of Kings, it's a checkered history of highs and lows. It's like you should have stuck with King, king Jesus. Um, a checkered history of highs and lows. But it seems better the rule and reign of a political kingdom that isn't the kingdom of God than the rule and reign of tyranny and chaos. Paul says to honor the emperor. Um, Paul's impression seems to be that despite their despicability, they provide order that holds back even a worse kind of disorder. So when Paul says to honor the emperor, Nero is the emperor. Nero's not like 
he's not like a top shelf politician. He's not like a he's not like a role model or anything. Like he, you know, he he had his wife murdered, had his mother in law murdered because he didn't like her. He kicked his pregnant wife to death because she did something. He's not a nice guy. Not not like not somebody to be admired or looked up to. But Paul says, honor the emperor. And it seems to be theologically that, well, better the tyranny of a bad kingdom than the tyranny of disorder and chaos and and all sorts that could be happening. Uh, Augustine offered a similar evaluation of the emperor in politics as well. Partly, uh, um, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, partly he saw the emperor being of the kingdom of darkness. The emperor is of the kingdom of darkness and politics is of the kingdom of darkness. But partly he saw, and nevertheless, this thing holds back even worse darkness. This, thing, this bad thing holds back even worse things, the principalities and powers. So, you know, submit to the emperor, honor the emperor, pay your dues, you know, don't get out of line. It's, it's theologically, it's like, oh, okay, there's some, there's some complicated things going on there. Perhaps we could summarize Augustine's perspective as politics is a necessary evil. Politics is a necessary evil. Uh, Augustine wrote about the city of God as in the age to come. He goes, look, politics won't be a part of the age to come. We're not going to have politics in eternity. It's just going to be King Jesus. But for now, uh, politics is a necessary evil. It holds back even worse chaos and worse principalities and powers. So, so let, let, let's allow this political thing to be. Not to say that a politician is evil. Not to say that politicians are evil, not to say that a party is evil. It's kind of the turn of phrase necessary evil. It's like we need this thing, we need this thing that is a substitute to the thing that we really need. Because not everyone's buying into the thing that we really need. So let's allow for the substitute thing and let that have its space in our world. A second rate substitute is better than chaos and tyranny. We've got a counterfeit version of the common good because if there was a true common good, what's that common good going to be? Jesus. Jesus is the only common good. Uh, everything else is different people's ideas on the common good. And uh, we know how politics goes. There ends up being a lot of self-interest in regards to that. In our 21st century context with National and Labour, with Acton, the Greens, etc., in the pursuit of an ever, uh, ever-contested counterfeit common good, so what's happening in politics? Well, we've got the ongoing pursuit of an ever-contested, counterfeit, common good. An ever-contested, counterfeit, common good. But theologically, man, that's better than tyranny and chaos. So, so, so God, you can use this to somehow bring, bring some order in life, and we should, we should pay attention to that. It's not the kingdom. Uh, and often, politics, politicians fall well short of the kingdom. Well short. Then other times, they go and start some policy. You're like, that's a really beautiful policy. I, I find that um, whoever gets elected, there's some things they do that I think Jesus would go, that's a good idea. That'll really serve people well. And then there's some things they do that Jesus would go, that's not a very good idea. That doesn't reflect the values that I have. It's like, well, that's a mystery then, isn't it? And, and I think, to be fair, you can go around all the parties and find some things that Jesus would go, car pie. Bring it on. And then you can find some things that Jesus goes, no, 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 not on my watch. It's like, well, this is a mystery then. It's the world that we find ourselves living in. Because no matter the politician, the politics, the policies, because it's a counterfeit common good, it inevitably falls short. 
it does inevitably fall short. Politics is rife with self-interest and donor favoritism and social agendas and financial agendas and competing agendas. And one of the major agendas, what do I need to do to get re-elected next time agenda? That's just the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. So our, hope, our ultimate hope is never political, but rather theological, the rule and reign of Christ. The age to come is our vision. The king and the kingdom, our passion. And politics, well, politics, that's an interest. That's an interest. The age to come is our vision. The king and the kingdom, our passion. And the age to come, an interest. The king and the kingdom is our hope and our salvation. The king and the kingdom is our hope and our salvation. The prime minister and the party, they are servants, not saviors. Servants, not saviors. Salvation comes via the proper ordering of our hearts through Christ, the cross, the church, through the journey of spiritual formation and discipleship. Salvation will never be found via the proper ordering of our social contexts through politics, politicians, and policies. It doesn't matter the, the policies that are in place. It doesn't order the human heart. It's, it's our alignment with Jesus that orders the human heart. Uh, politics can't make hearts better. But hearts can make politics better. Politics will never make the inner world better. But, the, but an appropriately aligned inner world under King Jesus can make politics better. One, one can serve the other, but it's not politics serving the transformation of the heart. It's the transformation of the heart can serve politics. Politics holds the surging sea at bay, but it does not calm the sea. It does not turn the tumult into still waters. Politics is powerless to better order the human heart though a more ordered heart will improve politics. Heart transformation is beyond the left or the right. It is found in the one who is the center of the universe. Not the one who is the center of the political spectrum. The one who is the center of the universe. So politics serves to maintain such peace and order as is possible for fallen humanity. At the same time, it invites ongoing debate. Given that we're not organizing our lives around a shared uh, interest in Jesus, how shall we organize our lives around some common good? And, and ultimately, it's a fraught enterprise, and yet potentially it's energizing and engaging. You know, politics is, what are we going to do with the water? We see that, three waters, but, you know, more generally speaking, politics is like, how do we make sure everyone has water? How do we look after the water? What are we going to do with the poop? Can't just have that building up in your backyard, so we've got to get some systems in place. What, what systems? Are we? Man, the roads, this is happening. How are we going to teach our kids? When I get sick, I've got to go to the hospital. What's that going to be like? Politics is the organizing of our shared life together. And man, you could see how that could be really energizing and engaging. It's like, we want better health care for everyone. Oh, let's sit around. Let's whiteboard. Let's brainstorm some stuff. Let's figure some things out. Let's start by just praying and committing this to Jesus and just making sure there's no other agenda. Well, that doesn't tend to happen, but um, you know, you can see how it can be. What an energizing and engaging! How do we, how do we help everyone to get an education? How do we make sure nobody's going without food? How do we make sure everybody lives in a warm house? These are like, this is really exciting and important conversations, until they aren't, until it becomes bickering and self-interest and agendas. And then it's like this conversation has really devolved. <laughs> this has got really, this has got really antagonistic. This is really tricky and complicated realities of politics. How then might we appropriately engage? 
I, I like bell-shaped curves. I've got a bell-shaped curve for you. <laughs> at one end of the conversation, at one end of the bell-shaped curve, we've got ignorance. And I've put an X by ignorance. I don't think that, um, I think ignorance probably falls short of the duty of care we have for our neighbor. I, 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 I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Can't be bothered with any of that. So, well, the stuff that you can't be bothered with is really making a, it's making a real difference in people's lives. So ignorance is probably not the space. So you've got, to be, you've got to do a bit more than ignorance. At the other end of the scale, though, the worship of politics, well, that certainly gets a big X as well. Uh, the idolatry of politics, where our deepest concern, our, our highest affections, our hope for salvation is found in a political party or in a policy or, or, or something like that. It's like, well, that's not, that's not a Christian perspective on, on politics either. It's not meant to be that either. It's in between those extremes somewhere that we find some sort of Christian space, some sort of, some sort of scripturally aligned, biblically kind of orientated space to engage and consider politics. And that can be a mixture of all sorts. You can live in that space and be very cynical. You can live in that space and be very hopeful. You know, any of you that have been around for enough elections, like there's been times where things that have happened, it's like, this is really good. There's been other times you're like, this is a disaster. And so, you know, cynicism or hope or frustration or anger, or well, all of those things kind of can exist in that mix, but it's somewhere in there that we're paying attention. Two dangers. First danger. Ideas have a way of becoming ideologies. And then ideologies have a way of becoming idolatries. Ideas have a way of becoming ideologies. Ideologies have a way of becoming idolatries. Good things, aspects of the created order, good ideas, good things that were thought up, good ways of doing things, good resources, or whatever it might be. These good parts of God's good creation, they exist there. They're great. This is a great idea. Then it has a way of morphing. These aspects of creation, I mean, half the principalities and powers are aspects of creation that as humans we have promoted to a place where they rule and reign over us. Money is the easiest one to explain. Well, money, what shall we do with money? Well, that's a great way to trade things and buy things and sell things and all of this kind of stuff. But when enough people start worshipping money, when enough people start seeing money as the thing that's going to save them, money as the thing that's going to bring them peace, money is the thing that's going to sort out all of their problems. Well, when enough people start living like that, well, money takes on a life of its own and becomes a principality and power that starts ruling over us and holding dominion over us. And a good thing becomes a bad God. Because uh, good ideas don't make good gods. They're just good ideas. But th- there's a tendency for ideas to become ideologies that become idolatries. Money, sex, promotion, individual success. These are good things that make poor gods. They're good things that make poor gods. Happens regularly in politics too. Freedom or socialism or individual rights or shared responsibility. Any of those kinds of things, those are good ideas that can drift to become ideologies that can then drift to become idolatries. I pick freedom as the one example to maybe talk about. Freedom. Freedom's a good idea. I mean, we've got verses for it, like, you know, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. So, you know, we can we can even we can start a political party with a freedom slogan and put a verse on it even. And it's like, well, that's a, Sam's, Sam's got a good party. I'm going to vote for Sam. Prime Minister Sam Harvey, come on. Freedom. Because he that the sun sets free is free indeed. You know. Now, if you do a little bit more digging around, it's like free to be a slave to Christ. It's like, wow, let's, ex- let's ignore the free to be a slave to Christ, but let's just be free indeed. 
What does it mean to be a slave to Christ? Well, you know, free to, you know, engage in co-suffering, sacrificial love of neighbor. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't sound like a lot of freedom. That sounds like a really, that's a hard ass, co-suffering, sacrificial love of neighbor. Just, let's just start, let's just do the freedom bit. Freedom's an idea. It's a good idea. We want to live in a, a, a world that's free and where people are free to make choices and live lives and all these kinds of things. But you can see freedom can morph to become an ideology, an ideology. And it can morph from there to become an idolatry where people worship freedom, pursue freedom at all costs, where freedom becomes the number one thing that they're living for. Yet as Christians, like we can't make freedom our God because we're set free to be free to give away our lives in co-suffering sacrificial love. So that, oh, there's, there's, there's a limit to that. that. It can morph to become something, uh, something other than uh, what it will be. Freedom. I want to be free to do whatever I want whenever I want. Well, you can't have that because that could hurt other people. It's like, oh, what? Yeah, that's politics. I want to drive on the right-hand side of the road because I grew up in America. It's like, yeah, you do that, we're going to throw you in jail. It's like, that's not freedom. I want to be free. It's like, well, the world doesn't live like that. You, you, you don't get to be free to do whatever you want. You get to be free to do some of the things that you want. Well, politics is the argument about, well, what do you get to be free to do and what don't you? And, the common good. Well, we're all going to have a different idea on that. So we wrestle with that. But as Christians, we've got, we got to be careful that we don't let these good ideas, such as, for, I'm promoting freedom as, as, I think that's a good idea. But we shouldn't let that become a God that we worship, that we pursue at all costs. That is our hope and our salvation. It's like, no, because I also know that Jesus called me to lay down my life for my neighbor. So it's an idea, but it has to be held in tension with these, with these other ideas. You can see how it gets complicated quickly. Exciting debates, competing ideas, fascinating nuance, and also skullduggery and, and depression and uh, arguing and bickering and no way forward. We navigate this as Christ followers. Though. Careful that we don't allow ideas to become idolatries. Freedom's a lovely resource. Freedom is a lovely resource, but it's also a false god. It's a lovely resource that can easily become a false god. You've just got to pay attention to that. I think second danger, because I'm just setting you up for Sam for next week. Second danger. Policies that outsource love. The second danger is that we can order society in such a way that I don't really have to love my neighbor anymore or look out for my neighbor because my elected representative, he will look after or she will look after my neighbor on behalf of me. Oh, and that's so much easier because, man, my neighbor brings dramas. The thought that we can order society in such a way with the right political things in place that I no longer really have to love my neighbor. So it's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is never a, a, a society organized to such a degree that you never have to pay attention or care for your neighbor. It's like, no, that's not, that's not Christian. That's not Christ-like. Um, they need, if they need help, they can call their local official. official. I've actually printed out my, PM, uh, my, my member of parliament's um, name and number and put the card in all the neighbor's letterbox so that if they get in trouble, they can ring him and uh, not interfere me because I've been watching a great series at the moment and I don't really want to be interrupted. Politics will look after the common good so that I can just look after my own good. That doesn't sound like anything Jesus would ever say. It doesn't sound like a line I can think of in the Sermon of the Mount. You know, elect the right guy to let yourself off the hook. It doesn't, I don't think Jesus ever said that. And even in the Greek, I don't think that he said that. I think that it's, it's not what Jesus was talking about. But we can easily 
we can easily get to a place where at times, because we go through life, you've loved your neighbor. It was co-suffering, sacrificial love. I don't know if you've ever thought about co-suffering, but suffering never tends to be fun. Sacrifice never tends to be easy. So after a while of living, I've been co-suffering, sacrificial, loving my neighbor for years now. I'm tired. I'm going to vote in a new party so that I don't have to do that anymore. Like you can see the temptation of that. And yet it's not, that's not what we're called to be as people who follow Jesus. Can't outsource kingdom living. Can't disembody love. Got to love our neighbor. Look, that, that party's been elected. The kingdom of God's come. No, 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 no. The kingdom of God hasn't come. Just a different party or the same party's been elected. Luke 17, verse 20 to 21. Once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So you can't vote in the kingdom of God. You can only live out the kingdom of God when you do a series on hospitality and have a hundred different times where people are gathering for meals and living the kingdom of God to one another. You can't vote the kingdom in. You can only live it. You can only live it into being amongst yourselves. Rule and reign of Christ in your life, the love of God flowing from your life as rivers of living water. You don't vote the kingdom, you live it among yourselves and across the fence with your neighbor. So, who should you vote for? You ready? I'm about to put up the, the, the part, I'm about to, come on. You, surely the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and we're all on the same page. You should vote for the party that you think is going to help with some common good. You should vote for the party that you think has got some policies that are going to help with the common good. That are going to help some poor or some disadvantaged people. They're going to help, oh, it'll help those people over there. Oh, that'll help my neighbor. I know Janice. That would, that would really help Janice. That'd be a good help. I'm, I'm going to vote for, you vote for the party that you think is going to do some common good. In the short term, in the medium term, and the long term. Which, of course, ends us up going, well, we've all got different ideas on what might be good for people. And I'm thinking of my neighbor Janice. And I'm thinking of my neighbor Steve. And what's good for Janice might not suit Steve. It's like, yeah, well, welcome to politics. <laughs> so you, you, with the best you can, you go, God, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking beyond myself. I'm thinking beyond what might work for me. I, I'm not having to go at labor in any way. But remember years ago where the, 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 um, the thing was they're going uh, to write off... Um, uh, uh, student, loan, uh, student loans were going to come interest-free. The amount of people that I knew that had never voted for Labour finally, you know, Labour's the party for me. I've always believed that. Uh, now, I'm not advocating national nor Labour. I don't really care. Uh, that's for you to figure out. But all I was like, I think in that moment, a party came along and said, we've got something that might be good for you. And you, and you went, yeah, don't worry about my neighbour. That would be good for me. I'm going to vote for that. I think we've got to look beyond what's good for us. and go, What would be good for my neighbour? What would be good for the poor or the disenfranchised? What would be good for that person that's hurting? What, what could make a difference there? And then happily vote for that going, but that's not my hope and my salvation because my hope and my salvation is Jesus. And when I think of voting for that party because it might be good for Janice, it might not be, but I'm going to love Janice anyway and I'm going to do what I can to help Janice out and live the kingdom in her world. So I had this commentary on Ezekiel. I'm going to finish with some of those writings. The author has noted already that the only true common good is God. And thus any other sort of common good that we come up with is still going to be a counterfeit or a substitute common good. It's not going to be the real common good. And he says this. He says, inevitably, 
Factions or individuals reach for the good in order to possess it for themselves. That which unites a community of this world is also a standing temptation to disunity. We could talk about freedom in regards to that. We're going to organize ourselves politically around freedom. Well, the very thing that unites us is always a standing temptation to disunity. If love of the common good is the supreme political virtue, the love of seizing this good for oneself is the supreme political vice that sooner or later undoes every form of politics in the world. If the supreme virtue is common good, the supreme vice is to reach for that for oneself. Which is why in Jesus we have the only one who did not reach for that for himself, but forsaking all, gave his life upon the cross. And because we're going to finish with Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, though, he writes, at the end and after it, there will be a political community of perfect mutual love, glorious with the Lord's glory, of which the supply is infinite, fullness of life in a city whose name is the Lord is 